Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I 270 and MD 85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1 800 Gambler. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Deep Dive, the All Music Books podcast where we talk to authors of music books, bios, history, and criticism. I'm your host, Steve J. Our guest today is Jimmy Steinfeld, who's the author of two books, Rock and Roll Lens, 30 Years of Music Photography and Stories, and the sequel, Rock and Roll Lens, Volume 2. Welcome, Jimmy. Hey, it's great to be here. So you are a rock and roll photographer, and uh, your books have some amazing photographs. You started photographing things at a really young age, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, I started taking photos around the age of 14, and at that time I was photographing cars and things like that, and then I moved on to other things. Wow, that's awfully young to get started. You went to college out west. You're from uh, Minneapolis, correct? Correct. You went out to California, you took a road trip, started to shoot rock concerts, and um, that was your first experience and your first real camera. What is a real camera? Well, my first real camera is actually right here, my $100 Minolta. It's a great camera. It was a great camera. And a lot of my early photos, even ones that ended up in Rolling Stone and Spin and other magazines, uh, were taken with this $100 camera. It's amazing. Do you remember what was your first paid shot? Yes, and absolutely. My photo of George Thorogood and the check that I got from Spin Magazine is framed, and I'm looking uh-huh. at it right now. It's hanging here in my office. One of the testaments to the powers of photography, just uh, our, our listening audience can't see it, but when they go buy your book, there's a picture of the Go-Go's in your book that's awesome, and it's just not what you expect when you see the Go-Go's and the videos and all this, and your picture makes them look like a rock and roll band. Wow, that means a lot to me. That was one of the early pictures that I shot with slide film. There was a time when slide film was very popular. Magazines loved their photographers to shoot slides because they were easy to edit. Hmm. They could lay them out on a light table, and it was easy for them to choose. The problem for a photographer with slide film at that time, generally speaking, was um, pretty slow film, as we say in the business. That is to say... Uh, you needed a lot of light to be able to get an exposure. And of course, a lot of concerts, the light is not very good. So it took me a while to get used to shooting with slide film, but I became uh, quite good at it. And I have shot a heck of a lot of the photos in my early career on slide film. And that photo is from a slide. And then I got to meet the Go-Go's. And uh, that was actually one of my first gigs that I was paid directly from the band or their label. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you mentioned the spin, and you picked up the very first issue of spin because you liked that cover, which wasn't your shot. And so you reach out to them, and uh, they buy some photographs, and then Rolling Stone comes next. And ironically enough, they choose another photo of yours of the person you saw on the spin cover, right? Yeah, that is a very interesting uh, break or happenstance. The first issue of spin had Madonna on the cover. I have saved that issue 
for uh, all these years. Soon after that magazine hit the newsstands, I called Spin and volunteered my services. Then that George Thorough good thing happened. But because that was around the time of Madonna's first tour, I photographed uh, some of that tour. And yes, uh, it is true that my first picture in Rolling Stone was of Madonna, who was on the cover of the first Spin magazine. A lot of the 80s has to do with Madonna (laughs) and uh, Michael Jackson and Prince and many others, but Madonna's way up there. Is that the picture that's inset on your cover of the first book? Is that the Madonna picture? Yes. She has the veil over her. Yeah, that's a great picture. She's wearing a wedding dress that's a sexy wedding gown. (laughs) Uh, That, of course, uh, is when she sings like a virgin. Uh, She autographed a giant print that I made. I made the print she autographed, and it's been hanging in my studio for over 30 years. Wow. You know, you mentioned uh, the light issue with uh, slides and and film. Back in the day, how difficult was it to get cameras into a venue and pass security and those kinds of things? Well, for me, it wasn't that difficult because uh, in most cases I was invited, so I had permission. Actually, in the earliest days, you could still bring your camera to a lot of concerts without any hassle. Then after a short period of time, it started to get a little bit more difficult. I got to know people in the music industry pretty quickly. I was lucky that I was in Minneapolis, which was a smaller market. It was also a market where a lot of great bands would come from. So I got to be known and accepted pretty quickly. Yeah, and you mentioned Minneapolis, and that's where you really did a lot of the bulk of your shooting to start and put you on this path. You know, that was, what, the 80s and 90s? And, and you're right, there are a lot of great bands and a lot of great venues. What was that scene like for a music photographer? So Minneapolis in the 80s was just hopping as far as the, the music scene goes. And, and why that is, you know, why, would, why did Seattle come a hot spot? Why was Athens, Georgia so popular for a time and so on and so It's hard to explain why these things happen, but certainly in Minneapolis, you had, uh, at the forefront, you had Prince and the Revolution. You had his previous bandmates, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, launching their uh, production company, Flight Time. Uh, Within a few years, they'd be producing everybody from Janet Jackson and Michael and, and on and on and on. Other artists you had, I would say, garage rock type bands. You had bands such as a Soul Asylum. Actually, before them, of course, you had The Replacements and uh, Husker Du. Before them, you had a wonderful band called uh, The Suburbs, and that band influenced a lot of uh, local bands. You you had bands all the way back to the 60s, like The Trash Men (laughs) with The the Serpent Bird. Uh, That was before my time, but they did do actually a reunion concert at the famous or infamous First Avenue nightclub. They were older gentlemen there, but they did their famous songs, and I photographed the trash men at First Avenue. It was just a a hotbed of music happening in the Twin Cities in the 80s and into the 90s, and it just so happened I was there with Mm -hmm. my camera. So uh, that part was good fortune. And then the nightclubs you were talking about, or the venues, well, we had large venues like most cities do. We had the, the hockey arena and the football stadiums and so forth. But I love the smaller venues. The most famous, of course, being First Avenue, where Prince actually shot Purple Rain right. and right. performed many times. And it's also a venue where bands from all over the world like to play there because it was just the right size where you could get a good crowd, small enough that it felt intimate. Then there was the 400 bar where I photographed Weezer oh. and other new up-and-coming yeah. bands. That was truly a bar. I mean, that was a little tiny venue. There was the Uptown Bar, also a very small place. Backstage of these places were a lot of fun. Usually you were in the basement where they'd keep uh, the cases of beer and so on. Uh, 
so those were wonderful times. Uh, some of those venues, First Avenue in particular, still exist. What was it like to shoot there? Was that a good place to shoot? First Avenue was excellent because, you, well, you could get really quite close to the stage. Number two, it was multi-level. There was the dance floor. Well, there you were kind of not such a great position, but you could get close to the stage. But it also had risers left and right, just perfect for a photographer. Hmm. And then they had a balcony upstairs. That was really outstanding as long as you had a long lens. If you wanted to get a full band shot, you know, if you wanted a picture of all four, five, six, seven members of a band, just a perfect positioning up on the uh, upper level. You're having lunch at a barbecue joint and sitting, what, a table away is? Prince. <laughs> Prince, and, Prince and I believe uh, Apollonia. The restaurant was basically empty. It was sort of an odd time of day when nobody's at a restaurant. But I just happened to be hungry at that time. And I went there with a friend and the place was basically empty and they, and they could have sat us in a different room. They sat us right next to Prince. <laughs> so after I finished our meal and he was finishing his, I said, uh, excuse me, uh, Prince, I just want you to know I, I have some wonderful photos that I took of you and I'd love to get them to you. And he was, uh, he was a man of few words, as you probably know. And he was shy when he was off stage. Right. And uh, he said, well, uh, you can send them to my management. Well, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know who was management. I said, well, where's that? And he said, well, they're, they're on the back of all my albums. <laughs> and that's all he had to say. But I followed up on it. And I got in touch with his management and sent them pictures. And, and then, as you may know, I, I photographed Prince, I think, as many as a dozen times wow. over about a 12-year period. Uh, we did not do a session together, which I would have enjoyed, but I photographed many of his concerts, including a wonderful show he did when I moved to L.A. He played the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. So eventually, obviously, you realize the next step for you is L.A., right? And you go out there and you shot albums and CD covers, publicity and promo photos, and even some portraits of Stevie Ray Vaughan. What, what was he like? Stevie Ray Vaughan was uh, one of the nicest, sweetest artists that I ever met. I had met him a few times backstage at concerts, and he was very friendly. I gave him copies of pictures I had taken of him previously, and he appreciated that. He did a, uh, a show in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul at the Riverfest, a big outdoor festival. And after that, I was backstage, and I said, Stevie, I know you're busy and you've got places to go, but did you have a second I'd love to shoot a portrait of you. And so he said, sure. And he didn't know me that well, hmm. but he just stood there and he posed for me. And there were fans to the left and right you know, who wanted to visit with him. But so he gave me some of this time, which I thought was terrific. In one photo, he's a little bit more serious expression than in the portrait I love. He smiled. And of course, very sadly, maybe a month after I did those photos, he uh, died tragically in that helicopter. That was the yeah, Alpine Valley thing, right? We did a podcast on him and, on, I'm sorry, on an author of a book on him. And uh, that remains probably in my entire concert going experience. He was the loudest artist I've ever, ever heard. It was ear shattering. <laughs> but it was great. The couple I, me and my wife were with, they walked out after three songs. They said, we can't take it anymore. <laughs> and we stayed and I was so glad we did, you know, because he was amazing. You also shot the cover for Dee Dee Ramone's last album, uh, I believe. He was in bad shape at this point, wasn't he? Uh, he had recovered some. Dee Dee had a very difficult life. 
I encourage uh, any of your listeners to uh, read uh, any books or uh, stories or histories about the Ramones in general and Didi in particular. Uh, Marky Ramone wrote a wonderful book. I interviewed him about his book some years ago. And of course, he talks a lot about Didi. But Didi had a, a wild and crazy and bizarre life. But I knew him in his later years. He was uh, really a very nice, sweet guy. I spent, well, really several days working with Didi on, on the photography for his last album. We did a session in my studio. Hmm. We did a session on the streets of L.A., right? We just walked around Hollywood and took pictures. Uh, some of that included photographing him in his apartment wow. with his uh, hmm. lovely wife, Barbara. <laughs> he, he was terrific. He had a short attention span, hmm. I would say, to say the least. I don't think that he had a drug problem right when I was working with him, but he had a lifetime of uh, drug problems. And he tried to overcome that many, many times. And that got him in the end. But I'll never forget, sometime after we did all those photo shoots, me and my cousin were driving down La Brea here in Los Angeles. And there was Dee Dee just walking down the sidewalk like any other person. He's just sort of walking on the sidewalk all alone, middle of the day. I said, hey, uh, cousin, that's my cousin Dave, pull over. That's Dee Dee Ramon. We pulled over. I said, Dee Dee, what are you doing? What's up? And he said, oh, uh, Jim, I'm just uh, going here or wherever he was going. I said, well, come on, jump, and we'll give you a ride. Dee Dee jumped in, and we visited again. I don't know how much later it was that he passed away. My experience with Dee Dee was that he was a terrific guy, sort of a confused person. Hmm. Yeah, his he wrote a autobiography. I think it's called Teenage Lobotomy. That was really good, but it's very dark and gritty, and, and you know you can see it's a, a tragic story. Uh, when I was brought in to uh, take photos for this album, uh, latest and greatest, I also went to the studio where they were rehearsing here in Hollywood. Uh, Dee Dee was playing guitar. I think Barbara was playing bass, and I forget who the other musicians were. But in any event. Dee Dee was, uh, got a little uh, upset with how the rehearsal was going. I had just arrived. I was in the outer room. He didn't know I was there yet. And he knew I was going to be coming that day to do some photos. Anyway, he blew up at the band and he yelled and screamed and he ran out of the studio. And then he sees me and he says, oh, sorry, Jimmy. Sorry about that. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> and he left. And then he just walked out. He was gone for, I don't know, a couple hours. And then, of course, he came back, settled down, and I got to photograph that rehearsal, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, very. Sorry cool, about that, Jimmy. <laughs> What's the difference, or is there a difference, between shooting in the L.A. music scene in Minneapolis? Is it harder to crack? I mean, there's lots of great clubs, and you've mentioned a couple of your favorites. But, you know, what's it like for a music photographer to, to break into that scene? Well, it's more challenging. Obviously, it's uh, perhaps the biggest market in the world, Los Angeles rivaled some by in New York and, of course, to some extent, Nashville. It's a huge market with a lot of competition, a lot of wonderful photographers here today, yesterday, since forever. But because I had already established myself in Minneapolis for so many years, when I came here, I I had some connections. And basically, I was kind of fearless. I mean, when I first moved here, I photographed just about every concert and I reached out to every label and every artist I could. I think like anybody who takes a career in the arts, uh, you just have to just keep bulldozing ahead. We're speaking with Jimmy Steinfeld, who's the author of two books, Rock and Roll Lens, 
30 Years of Music Photography and Stories, and its follow-up, Rock and Roll Lens Volume 2. Your book is filled with some amazing shots, but equally amazing. You tell some really great stories, and we've heard a couple of those. A couple I'd like to ask you about. Johnny Cash? Oh, yes, Johnny Cash. Well, that was really terrific. Uh, I got to know Johnny Cash reasonably well. I mean, I wouldn't say he was like a close friend, but I got to know him and I got to know June. And um, and then later on through them, I got to know Rick Rubin, you know, who produced those later albums. But Johnny uh, and June came to Minneapolis. Uh, this would have been the early or mid, the mid 80s. And they played another wonderful venue that doesn't exist anymore called the Carlton Celebrity Room. Mm-hmm. It was a dinner theater large, but a lot of country artists played there. Rock bands played there too. I photographed the monkeys there. Mm. And I think maybe I photographed Chuck Berry there. But anyway, June and Johnny played there. And that's the first time I had photographed him. And then when he returned on a different occasion, I actually shot a commercial with him. We went on location. That was really fun because uh, the friend of mine who got me that gig said there was sort of a mad dash to the cars to get to where where the location was. And I was the lucky guy who had Johnny Cash jump into my car. <laughs> he was my passenger. It was a sports car, right? That's right, a Mazda RX-7, brand new. He was the very first passenger in my new car. So he gets in my car, and it's very small, and he's tall. And he says, man, this is smaller than June's Ferrari. <laughs> so uh, we laughed about that. But I got him there safe and sound. That was a fun shoot. So I got to know him a little bit then. Stayed in touch through the years and got to photograph him a lot more. Photographed him when I moved to L.A. Obviously one of the greatest songwriters and entertainers that there ever was, Johnny Cash. You also had a, an interesting meetup with Eric Clapton. With Eric Clapton. Yes, I did. <laughs> That's uh, one of the mo- most entertaining stories in the book. It's pretty short. You want me to just read it? Sure. This is in my book, Rock and Roll Lens, Volume 1. I took Gene one of my models, to an Eric Clapton show. On the way, she told me how excited she was because she loved Tom Petty. We're going to see Eric Clapton, I explained. Eric Clapton, Tom Petty, same thing, she said. And I realized she had no idea who this musical giant was. So as we drove to the show, I gave her a brief history lesson. We had excellent concert seats, and after I had photographed the first three songs, I returned to our seats, but Gene wasn't there. After the show was over and nearly everyone had left the venue, here struts Gene from backstage. Here's your backstage pass, Jimmy, she said. Follow me. Turned out, during the show, the whole band had been checking her out, and their tour manager had hooked her up with passes. So in the end, it was Jean who introduced me to Eric Clapton. Hopefully she didn't call him Tom Petty when she met him, but that, that's a great <laughs> right. story. It's funny, you find yourself in these situations, and I guess that's part of um, how it works with photographers and getting to know people. And uh, I know that your grandmothers grew up in the St. Paul area, and they knew Bob Dylan's mother. You met Bob several times, and he actually complimented one of your photographs, right? Yes, First off, you're absolutely correct. Uh, both of my grandmothers uh, knew Bob's wonderful dear mother, Beatty, and my mom knew her. And actually, I knew her, too. Whenever Bob would come to the Twin Cities at the, in those years that I lived there, I'd photograph the show for Rolling Stone or Spin or whoever, but I'd always make a print for his mom. She appreciated that. She's such a nice lady. 
but I hadn't met him. You know, it's one thing to go to a concert and photograph what's going on on the stage, but good luck getting backstage at a Bob Dylan concert. It's not easy. Eventually, I did get backstage at a concert that he did in Rochester, Minnesota. There were very few people backstage. And uh, eventually, Bob kind of freed up after he was visiting with somebody else. And I very quietly, sheepishly walked over to him. And I said, gee, I sure enjoyed the show. And here's something for you. And I gave him a picture that I had taken of him years before. My favorite picture I had taken. It's the same picture that's in the book. Okay. And he took one look at this 8 by 10 I gave him. And he said, that's a good picture. <laughs> so I just about fainted. We visited for just a brief time more. That was very rewarding to have Bob Dylan, certainly one of my all-time favorite songwriters, one of the greatest of all time, uh, for him to give me a compliment about that picture. Uh, I haven't forgotten that. Yeah, and like Prince, he's known as a man of few words as well, you know? Yes, that, that's true. You should feel great about that. Speaking of backstage, uh, you mentioned that you were backstage. I think you were filming the band Guns N' Roses in 1987. And that was the year that Appetite for Destruction came out. That must have been a crazy scene. It was. I tell that story in the book when I was in their dressing room after the show, junk all over the place and also pretty girls all over the place. Sometime before that performance... Axel had broken his arm and it was in a sling. I mean, I tell more in the book, but that was a, a kind of fun and interesting to uh, just be, a, if you'll pardon the expression, a wallflower in that dressing room uh, during that tour. How was the show? It was great. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to compare them to Led Zeppelin. There's an energy in those two bands from sort of two different generations that, uh, you know, remind me a little bit of each other and in, in their uh, exuberance. And, and their craziness on the road, I might add. Yeah, and you caught them at the absolute perfect time. I mean, that was when they're still headed upward, and they must have been great. Yes, it was a terrific concert. Do you have, like, a favorite band or performer that you've shot that you, you really enjoy shooting or repeatedly shot? Well, I couldn't pick one band. I'll mention several that, whether it's their, their presentation, their performance, uh, their stage tricks really make it fun to photograph. Certainly near the top would be Prince. His band, The Revolution, brought so much to that whole experience. Madonna always put on tremendous shows. Many years later, the young singer who came from Disney, uh, Britney Spears, she, she did a show where it's raining. It was raining on the stage, how everybody didn't get electrocuted. I'll never understand. A band that I love photographing, of course, is ZZ Top. Such wonderful, fun shows and such terrific blues-based anthems, if you will. Elton John, all of the shows that I photographed that he did were amazing. Yeah, let me change the question a little bit, because your books are a who's who in music. There's Miles, Page and Plant, McCartney, uh, Dolly, Loretta, everybody. <laughs> Is there somebody out there that you'd like to shoot, that either live or in the studio, that you haven't? Uh, yes, uh, certainly. Uh, some of the artists that I've wanted to photograph, that it just I never got around to it. I suppose it could happen in the future. I kind of think of them as retired at this point, but it'd be great to photograph Barbara Streisand, Cher, Eminem. I'd love to photograph him. There, there's many. There's many. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. 
And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And you seem to really enjoy the live experience. I mean, I know you've shot a lot of studio stuff and covers and that kind of thing. But, you know, what is it about the live experience you love? I've always loved concerts, just being there, the experience, seeing these wonderful performers right there, sharing the experience with them. First concert I ever saw was the band America. I was a teenager at the Minnesota State Fair. And ever since then, just something about being there in the presence of the, these people who wrote these songs that we hear on the radio and on record. Then when I was armed with a camera and I was actually able to, in this small way, participate, if you will, that's a, an exciting thing. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I want to ask you about two photographs in your book, and it's not so much the story, although the first one is a little bit, and it's perhaps the most touching and bittersweet photo, and it's the Rat Pack Live without Dean Martin. You know, what you write about it, you can really tell that you were you know, hugely bummed that Dean wasn't there. What, what's the story behind that? It's kind of deep, really, some several layers to it. Uh, Dean Martin, uh, the celebrity, you know, I, I, I never met him. Obviously, that's what part of the story is about. And I never got to photograph him. I mean, that was really the sad part about it. But Dean Martin, I felt like he was part of my life. He was on television when I was growing up with his variety show and our whole family sat around and, and laughed and enjoyed it and enjoyed the music. My folks were a little older uh, than I think most folks of my era. So we had all of that old time music in our house. I mean, I grew up with Frank Sinatra music and, and Dean Martin music and Vic Damone and Stephen Edie Gourmet and so forth and so on. And I always loved Dean Martin's voice. And I really liked Dean Martin's voice more than Frank Sinatra's voice mm. eh, by a little bit. He was very much influenced by uh, Bing Crosby and the Mills Brothers. And then we fast forward to the Rat Pack is doing a reunion and they're coming to Minneapolis. This was incredible. 
I made arrangements to photograph the show. So it was obviously a, a very sad thing when uh, Dean backed out of the tour, just days before they played Minneapolis. And I got to photograph Frank Sinatra, and I got to photograph Sammy Davis Jr., but I never got to photograph Dean. When I saw that picture and then read the story, I looked back at the picture, and it just said so much more, you know, from a personal level, from you. And uh, I thought that was terrific. Let me ask you about one more. It's been driving me nuts. Okay. I've tried so hard to figure this out. You did a lot of bands. You took a lot of curtain calls where they'd come back and, you know, bow before their last encore and all that kind of thing. But the very last photograph in your book, which is on the thank you page, I've been trying to figure out who that band is since I got your book, and I still don't know. Can you tell me? Yes. Can we have a little guessing game and see if we can get you there? And I'll I'll tell you. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to look for it now. I started out counting the number of guys in the band. I'm going to hand this over to my engineer and see if he can see. I I don't know. For the listeners, the reason this is difficult, you know, at the end of a concert, sometimes a band will come out, join arms, and bow. And this picture is like a deep bow. I mean, their their heads are almost down to the floor, down to their knees. So you can't see who they are, except that there's five people. That looks like a woman in the background. That is correct. Who said that? Uh, That's my engineer. So I'm going to guess then, is that the Pretenders? It is. Very good. No, I would never have guessed that. All credit goes to my engineer over here because I'm counting it. With that style and the way, like you say, they're bent over, you can practically see the back of their heads, you know, so it's, you can't see any faces. And so I was looking at the footwear, but those never occurred to me to be lady shoes, you know, I just figured. Well, it's such a, a deep bow that it really, it's hard to tell that the person in the middle is a woman. It's just a, a bunch of long hair, but she is wearing these cool kind of sexy boots. Mm-hmm. And it's also for our listeners, it's in black and white. So when you get Jimmy's book, you go to that one. Out of all the people that ran through my mind, that didn't come in there. So you and I recently worked together on a poster for a documentary and you had photographed Michael DeBar, yes. who has done everything from TV to to Sir With Love. And he's been in several bands and he's now a serious DJ. And your pictures were awesome. It was a lot of fun to work on. I heard Michael really liked the poster and the documentary was amazing. What can you tell us about him? He's quite the personality, it seems. Michael's a great guy, dear friend, such a multi-talented guy. Uh, He's an extraordinary actor, has been since uh, he was a child or a teenager anyhow. And this recent couple of projects, which we've all been involved in, are just amazing. He has a single coming out very soon. I did the photography for that, I'm very proud to say. And the documentary, I mean, I'm super excited for him and you, and I did photography for that. He's something of a perfectionist. He's not going to put anything out to the world unless it's really great Hmm. and just right and really has the mark or the stamp of Michael DeBar. And if that means uh, taking extra time and extra effort to polish uh, that jewel of a song, that's my observation about Michael. Well, that's well put. And it's a fantastic documentary. It's really, really cool. We're speaking with Jimmy Steinfeld, who is the author of a book called Rock and Roll Lens, 30 Years of Music Photography and Stories. We had mentioned some of the stories. I'm going to tell you and for our listeners when they go out and buy your book. My personal favorite is the Elvis Costello story. So make sure you all turn to that page because I laughed out loud with that one. A couple of bigger questions especially in the state that we are in today with what's not going to be live music for a while. 
What do you think the state of music photography is today? Certainly the album cover is greatly diminished, at least physically, due to streaming. And then there's, you know, social media and omnipresent iPhones. Where is what you do at today? I think all photographers, whatever the subject matter is that photographers are shooting, I I don't think that you can let the current situation get you down. One of my catchphrases, I mentioned it in both of my books, is uh, your camera. Don't leave home without it. Hmm. Well, of course, today, (laughs) nobody leaves home without their camera because we have it in our phone. But whether you're taking your phone with you or a more sophisticated camera, I say to other photographers, particularly music photographers, but all photographers, take your camera, take pictures wherever you go, document what's going on in the world today. Now, music photography specifically and music and concerts in general, this will come back. It has to come back. It will come back. We don't know when. I was very sad to hear the other day that the Hollywood Bowl just announced they're canceling all their shows for this year. I think it said that this hasn't happened in almost 100 years. Concerts will come back. People want to hear and see live music. The photographers, of course, will come back because we want to document those experiences. Uh, We just have to be patient. Now, for photographers like myself who have been photographing these legendary artists for years, there's a lot to keep us busy. I have hundreds of thousands of photographs. And one of the things I've wanted to do for years is scan the very best ones because a lot of my photos are still on film. Remember film? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have scanned a lot of my photos through the years, but that still leaves tons of important photos unscanned. So that's what I'm doing. Every day I take a couple of hours out of my day. I couldn't do more than that because it's so boring. I do that and I go through my files and I pick the very best picture of a certain band and I'll scan that and then I'll do another one. But because it's kind of boring, you know, while the machine is doing the scanning and I'm just sitting here, I decided I'm going to pull out all my vintage vinyl records. (laughs) Perfect. And I've been listening to them now for the last couple months that we've been in quote unquote quarantine. And it's been just terrific. I haven't listened to some of those albums in 30 years. Everything from Ray Charles, who I photographed, by the way, to uh, The Stones, to Dylan. So all of us need to make the most of the situation. Certainly for photographers, we all have archives, large or small. With social media now, there's tremendous things you can do to let the world know about your photography. There are ways to monetize your photography. That's, of course, more difficult than just posting it, you know, for promotion. But there's ways to to make a living from it. I recently made a film about the current quarantine situation. It's a short film. It's two minutes long. So hopefully your listeners will have two minutes to check it out. I'm very proud of it. I directed it. I star in it. It's called Serum, and it's about the current quarantine just Jimmy Steinfeld on Instagram. And when you get to my page, look for the picture of me looking into a microscope. I'm going to do that as soon as we hang up. So I want to thank you, Jimmy. It was a great conversation. I'd also like to just say in closing that uh, I love the analogy, and I think it's a really apt one, when you talk about cataloging all your back images with LPs playing. I think, you know, the thing that I thought about really was, you know, the images on your phone and and your computer are in no way as good as the vinyl in your hand. 
And by the same token, I think that, you know, while it's really great and they're getting better to have a camera on your phone, it's not a substitute for an artist like yourself who takes professional pictures using film. I want to thank you for your books. I think they're great and everyone should look at them. I want to thank you for coming on today. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. And I wish you continued success with uh, your program and all you're doing. All right. Thank you, Jimmy Steinfeld. If you'd like to find out more about his book, please visit allmusicbooks.com. And you can buy it through our site. You can also check out the rest of our deep dive episodes there. I'd like to thank our engineer, Steve Folsom. Finally, a big shout out to Frankie and the Pool Boys for their one-of-a-kind music played throughout this podcast. You can check them out at frankieandthepoolboys.bandcamp.com and on all the major streaming services. Please support your local and independent musicians and writers. We're out until the next time, and thanks again for tuning in to Deep Dive, an all-music books podcast. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I 270 and MD 85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1 800 Gambler. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.